I have to confess that after last week, I wasn't sure um, whether doing not just for kids, whether I was, well, I was up to it when uh, David Bell set the bar so high with playing the guitar and everybody singing together, and I'm going like, oh, man. So this is, you're just back to Mr. Ordinary this, this week. Um, but, you know, part of what we're doing when we do not just, there's a couple of things we're doing with Not Just For Kids. One of the things that we're trying to say is that the church is not just for grown-ups. The church is not made up just of grown-ups, that if you belong to Jesus, you have God's life in you, you're actually part of the church, and you have a role. It doesn't matter what your age is. And it's really important for our children to feel that connection. There's a second thing that we're trying to illustrate, and that is uh, particularly for parents, you parents and grandparents. There are all kinds of just common, everyday objects at hand and experiences in everyday life that you can use to teach spiritual lessons. And I want to encourage you to do that as you, you know, Deuteronomy 6 talks about uh, talking about the Word while you're in the way, when you rise up, when you lie down, uh, just throughout the course of the day. You don't have to have a, a formal time in order to teach your kids stuff. You're, you're teaching them actually all the time by what you model, and I encourage you to use every opportunity you, you can to use just commonplace uh, illustrations to teach them about God. All right, so our text for tonight is Ephesians 5, 21 to 24. And we read these words, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, or obviously that's not even a complete sentence, that's finishing out something from uh, last week. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So, what is the word? If we're looking at the Bible, we're looking for repeated words. What is the word that we keep seeing show up here? I think you said this word, right? Okay, there's submitting. We've got submit. If we flip the board, we've got submit again and submit again. So over and over again, obviously the theme is submit. Now, when, when you see that word, you have to pull up at the right part. Um, when you see that word, I want you to be honest. What does it feel like to you? You feel like, yeah, that's a cool word. <laughs> that's like 21st century, this is the cultural moment when submit, submit is probably the word that captures our times. No. I think we all feel a little nervous about it. I feel nervous about it because I live in these times too. And we also, you know, as a pastor, I've seen um, this whole concept um, violated all directions. Um, I've seen the word hijacked and I've seen it ignored. 
And what we want to really try to get our heads around is what is Paul actually teaching us here? And obviously, this discussion is going to go on further. Um, And in the month of October, we're going to spend some time just talking about uh, biblical manhood, womanhood, some work that the pastors did last year. And um, we're going to take a break and go to that coming off of this particular passage. So as we look at this passage, we want to first just focus on this first phrase in verse 21, Christ honoring submission to one another. Christ honoring submission to one another. Then we're going to look at Christ honoring submission of wives to their own husbands. We see that in verse 22 and also at the end of verse 24. And then we're going to look at submission of the church to Christ, the Savior, which is actually in the middle. Now, last week, uh, David Bell talked about what's called chiastic structure. And you recall that key is actually, it looks like an X to us. That's the Greek letter key. And a chiastic structure has a form, essentially, that's you have A... B, B, A. These two things go together, and what's in the middle goes together, and what's in the middle is actually where the focus primarily is, okay? So, when we look at this particular passage, we see that the submission of wives to their own husbands is at the beginning and the end. It's at the, the wide part of the key of the X. We see it, verses 22, to 24. Look at it. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then at the end, wives, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So, the theological pattern, though, for wife's submission to her own husband is the church's submission to Christ. Where, where it crosses the focus, where, where we're getting our idea from is that church's submission to Christ. So, in verses 22 to 24, in the next slide we see in the middle there's where, the, where it crosses. That's where the focus is. And these are tied together. All right, so I wanted just that overview. And now let's talk first about Christ honoring submission to one another. So, you know, one of the first things that we, we want to do is like, what does the word submit actually mean? I mean, it sounds like subjugate. It sounds like, you know, I've got a baseball bat hanging over your head. And if you don't if you don't get with it, you're in big trouble. Submit, actually, it, it literally means to arrange yourself under or to line up under. It's a military term. It's like, you know, you've got, you've got generals and you've got uh, all the way down to, to privates. I don't know all the, depends on which, which branch you're in, what they call everything. But, but you have a, a ranking and the military functions well when everybody's in their ranking. So, it has to do not with the intrinsic worth of the person, but with with the function, with the response to a created order. And you'll notice that this is out of reverence for Christ. And this is the word often translated fear. It's a common word for fear, and it's, it's not a... Uh, where you're terrorized by Christ, but where you hold him in reverence, you hold him in awe, 
Uh, this word is closely associated with loving the Lord and with worshiping the Lord. Christ is the anointed king, and we bow the knee to him. So our submission to one another is out of reverence to Christ. Now, before we go any further, this, this started with what's not even a complete sentence. I mean, you know, we wouldn't walk up to someone and say, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. They say, well, wait a minute, I missed the first part of the sentence. Okay? I want to remind you that verse 21 links what comes before it and with what comes after it. It's not a complete sentence. It's actually the last in the series of participles, this ing ending, participle, that, that is part of a, a number of ing words that tell us what it's like or how we express ourselves when we are filled with the Spirit. I'll remind you, if you're looking at a, a copy of your own uh, Bible, you'll see that there's, uh, remember, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing uh, one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, giving thanks always, and then finally submitting. So you have these worship words, you have these singing to God kinds of words, and then you have this submitting to one another. The effects of being drunk are destructive toward ourselves and toward those around us. In, in getting drunk, there's dissipation. It breaks things down. It tears things down. The effects of being filled with the Spirit are just the opposite. Rather than being destructive, it's beneficial to those around us. It helps us do good to them. And it's, it's a great illustration for us to think about, you know, sin does harm, doing right does good. And so, if the Spirit of God is empowering me, and He's got control of my mind and my heart and my actions, then I'm going to be doing things that actually do good to other people. I'm going to be addressing them with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm going to be singing, making melody in my heart to the Lord. I'm going to be admonishing them. I'm going to be giving thanks. I'm going to be submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to get into what this actually looks like uh, in specific relationships in the home and in the workplace. It's going to take us all the way to the middle of chapter 6. But in verse 21, we see this foundational concept of mutual submission. I call it mutual submission. Why would I call it that? Well, it's mutual because it's to one another. This is, this is one of those one another passages in other words, this is something that every believer is supposed to be doing toward other believers. Yes, to submit is to arrange yourself under somebody, but the reality is that, that every one of us, if we have reverence for Christ, is supposed to arrange ourselves under other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, that is, that is countercultural. It was countercultural in Paul's day. It's still countercultural. Because it goes cross-grain against the self-centered spirit of the age. And, and quite frankly, it goes against who we are as sinners by birth and by choice. I mean, sin by definition has I right in the middle, and, and it's, it's about me. It, I, I want what I want, and I don't care what it does to other people. And, and submission out of reverence to Christ is actually looking for what's good for other people. Remember that the spirit of the age is energized by Satan himself. He energizes the sons of disobedience, according to Ephesians 2. Now, 
what's really helpful about this is I thought about this this week, and you know, how do we, how do we get our heads around? Why would reverence to Christ cause us to treat one another this way? And, and, there, and the answer is Jesus not only taught this, but Jesus also set the example. For instance, listen to what he says in Matthew 20. Jesus called them to him and said, you know, and this is, by the way, when they're arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, okay? He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So, in other words, if you're the man in charge, then you're the man in charge, and everybody, you say frog, and everybody better jump because you're in charge, okay? And, and this is, you know, the, the, the world looks at, I want to get higher up on the ladder so more people have to obey what I say to do, okay? It's even possible to go into ministry this way, to think, you know, I really, I want to, I want to be a pastor so I can tell other people what to do. If that's the reason you're going in, don't, okay? Because you're not going to be helping people out. If, if you just want to be in charge, uh, you're still too self-centered to actually help people. He says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man even as a son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Son of man was not a title, was not a lowly title. It, it goes back to um, Daniel 7. The son of man is one who comes out of the clouds of heaven at the end of the age, the ancient of days, and he's the one that judges the world and sets up an everlasting kingdom. I mean, he's in charge. But the Son of Man was also Christ's favorite term for himself. And we know that in order to make citizens of that kingdom, he gave his life as a ransom. He's Lord of all, but he's dying for those over whom he rules. And then in John 13, he illustrated this, and we mentioned this and not just for kids. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. And of course, you have this interchange with Peter where Peter says, I don't wash my feet. You're, you know, you're important. You shouldn't be washing my feet. And, and they have that interaction, and then Jesus makes this lesson. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is why some religious traditions, some church traditions actually do this, uh, along with communion and baptism. They do this as an, as an ordinance in order to, to follow what Christ says here, but, but the point he's given is, I have given you an example that you should do just as I've done to you. In other words, you, you ought to be willing. You not only willing, but you ought to be jumping into doing the lowliest of tasks for the sake of others. And you ought to be okay with that. If your Savior and Lord is okay with that, 
then you can be okay with that. It's, a, it's another way of saying, you know, Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. It's not about promoting yourself. It's about helping other people. So to be under the Spirit's control, remember that submitting to one another is a mark that the Spirit of God is actually in control of your life, leads to living as Jesus lived. The Spirit empowers our self-sacrificing love and humility toward one another. And when we live this way, it shows reverence for Christ. When we're unwilling to live this way, it shows that we're actually still in control and thinking about leadership in the wrong way. His doing so makes it our joy to consider one another more significant than ourselves, like Philippians 2 talks about, and to give up ourselves for the sake of the needs of others. Now, this is supposed to be happening, and this does happen throughout the body of Christ. The thing that marks the body of Christ when the Spirit's in control is love and humility, and that brings a unity where, where we will humble ourselves to actually serve the needs of others because we love them. And if you think about it, you know, the mom that brings her, her sick kid breakfast in bed or the dad that brings lunch or whatever, you know, the mom and dad aren't going like, oh, man, I got to feed Johnny. He... He is such a pain. Has to eat all the time, even when he's sick. Okay? No, it, you know, when, when, when somebody's sick, when somebody's needy and you love them, you, you want to be of help to them. It's your joy to serve them. You know, the, the same is true when a, when a couple falls in love. It's like, oh man, I got to spend five hours with my fiance. Yeah. Oh, I have to buy a Christmas gift. You know what will happen if I don't buy a Christmas gift? No, it's, it's something you love to do. You're glad to give of yourself. You're glad to sacrifice for the sake of those that you love. And this is what happens in the body of Christ. And, and, and the reality is this, that our greatest opportunities to live this way happen where our relationships are closest. They happen in the home. Now, here, here's what commonly happens. We're around each other all the time, and we kind of rub each other wrong sometimes. We, we get, you, you know, we, we know the flaws. We know the strengths, but we also know the flaws. And after a while, it just starts to get on our nerves every time you do that, okay? And, but, the, but think about it. The, the people you live with, and, and you can be five years old or 55 years old, the people you live with, provide for you the most opportunity to live this way. You know, anybody you interact with, you have some opportunities in the workplace, you have some opportunities in your neighborhood, but the people with whom you have the most opportunity are the people that you see every day. And, and they see you on your worst days, not just on your good days. So think about how powerful it is when they know you're not feeling good, when they know that you're not having a good day, when, when things aren't going great for you, and you still are thinking about them and, and still serving them with love. That's what submitting ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. And, and let, me just, let me just encourage you. I know what, part of what happens in a culture like ours where there's a lot of false ideas being pushed is, is we try to push back 
and, and we debate about this stuff at a level where we actually miss the point. Okay? We want to make sure, you know, don't, don't be so big about, about defending your authority that you forget that every believer is supposed to be submitting to other believers and serving them in a way that shows love and humility. You know, if you're a manager of a company or president of a company or you have any kind of leadership position, what really marks you as a good leader is your ability to actually know your people and, and to see what their needs are and help them thrive. Good leaders do that. It's tyrants who just boss them around. Okay? And, and it's not that, that we should not obey those that are in authority, but, but it is that good authority, good leadership serves the needs of those that they lead. It's really important for us to remember that. Well, that leads us then to this, this specific application of Christ honoring s- submission of wives to their own husbands. So, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. Now, if you were reading, if you were reading the Greek text in which this was written, there's actually a word that our English supplies that is not here. Okay? You know what the word is? Now, does that seem radical? Do you think I'm getting ready to, like, to teach you false doctrine or something? I hope not. Okay. But, but what you have is an elliptical clause, and it means there's an understood meaning. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands. In other words, the wife's submission to her husband is inseparably tied to this expression of the filling of the Spirit. It's so inseparably tied that Paul doesn't repeat the word submit. He's actually depending on that word submit for how the wife treats her husband. So, wives, as you you think about your relationship to your husband, you're first off thinking about him in terms that he's a born-again believer, and you are glad to arrange yourself under his leadership because of reverence for Christ. It's not just that he's your husband, it's that Jesus is Lord. And when we, you know, we mentioned this has that chiastic structure, so when we come around to the end, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their own husbands. Guess what? It happens again. So also wives in everything to their husbands. In other words, the submission of wives to husband is tied to the submission to the Lord and or is tied, first off, to submission of one another, believers to one another, and secondly, it's tied to submission to the Lord as all the church submits to the Lord. And, and so, what's so critical about this is it, it helps us, this is not about who wins the argument, um, it, it, it's about 
her placing herself under her husband's leadership, as Christians are glad to do, out of reverence for Christ. She places herself under her husband as to the Lord because she's a member of the body of Christ and submits to Christ who is a head and savior of the body. John Stott has uh, defines well for us, submission is the humble recognition of the divine ordering of society. And, and what you see is the way God has arranged his design from Genesis 1 on, where God has designed the order of things. Uh, a submission to that is part of showing our reverence to God. Those in authority at any level, this applies to those that are, are employers, uh, in, in the day of Paul, they had slaves and masters as well. Um, those that are government officials, it doesn't mean that the government official is himself more valuable than other people. He may not even be that good of a person. But out of reverence for God, we submit to their authority because the authorities have been placed there by God, according to Romans 13, uh, 1 Peter 2, and other, other passages. In other words, the authority, this, this authority to which we're submitting, whether it's wife to husband, whether it's children to parents, uh, whether it is um, citizens to those in authority, that authority is a derived authority. And those in authority answer to God. If they require what God forbids or forbid what God requires, we are obligated, because we're doing this out of reverence for God, we're obligated actually to disobey. And we're willing to take the consequences for doing so because we understand that the, the authority that is there, whether it's in the home or it's in government, we understand that God has placed it there. It, it works because it's under the authority of God. God's ordering of society called for also a, a reciprocal, that means it's going both direction, duties of wives and husbands. It wasn't just, well, the wives have all these duties and the husbands don't have to do anything. We're going to see next, next week what the husbands are supposed to be doing. So, so God holds both wives and husbands accountable. God holds both children and their parents accountable. God holds slaves and their masters accountable. Because all of this is an arrangement under God's authority. And that leads us to the third truth. And that is the submission of the church to Christ the Savior. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now the key here. Everybody knows what a husband is. Everybody knows what a wife is. But what does it mean when it says that he is the head? Just as Christ is the head. So you have this comparison between the husband and wife, Christ, and the church. What does that mean? Well, some want to argue that head just means source, like the head of the River Nile. Okay? Problem. Words mean what they mean in connection with context. And source does not work here. When we say that Christ is the head of the church and is its savior and that we're supposed to submit to Christ because he's the head, it's clear that authority 
is in view. But it's authority that is beneficial. And it's really helpful that we talk about Christ as the head of the church. Because he's not only the authority, the king, as it were, of the church, but, but it means that, that, that his rule over the church is actually beneficial to the church. And we understand that. We don't go like, oh, I just wish Christ were not in charge of the church. There's just so many problems because Christ is in charge. No, he's the head. And think about how a body works. And because we've got, you know, reference, the church is his body. And so we want to think about, you know, how a body functions with its head. Well, the body, the head of a body coordinates the activity of the body. It, it causes to function in unity. I spent some time once when my when dad was dying with a brain tumor. I was on the neuro floor of the hospital. And there are people there where there is a, a problem with the brain or a problem with the connection of the brain to the body. And the body was doing stuff that wasn't helpful to the body at all. It was destructive. And the human body, the head or the brain, sends out messages to the body parts that cause the body harm. There's something wrong with the head. Or there's something wrong with the communication to the parts of the body. The head of the body functions for the good of the body. I mean, we understand this, right? When we say, oh, you know, children with their parents. Why are the parents there? The parents are there for the good of the children, particularly at a time when they can't care for themselves. It, it doesn't even make sense that, 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 that mom and dad should mistreat the kids, should, should harm them in some way. They're there for their benefit. And so the head of the body is there for the good of the body. When the head is functioning properly, the body parts are well-served to follow the direction they receive from the head. So let's say that, that you don't have a brain tumor and your brain is telling your body what to do, but there's something wrong at the extremities and the body is not maybe some neuropathy or something. The body is not getting the messages and so the body doesn't function. And so the person's stumbling around because it's not getting messages like it needs to from the head. If the parts do not yield to the brain's direction, the parts don't function well and harm follows. Well, Christ's action on behalf of his body brought about its salvation. And so this is, you know, as we think about headship and we think about leadership, you know, think about the head and the body. And, and clearly Paul is thinking about just how beneficial Jesus is. I mean, he rescued the church. Our connection with the head means that we're saved. We've been delivered. We've been healed. We've been given life. And apart from the head, we don't have life at all. He's the Savior of his people, and it's good to submit to Jesus. Whenever I resist following Jesus, whenever I resist his authority in my life, I actually do myself harm. Well, this concept of headship is going to provide light that we need to understand the husband's function toward his wife. It's never for her harm. 
It's always for her care and her good. It, it's never abusive, always cherishing. And you know what's, what's really helpful about this is, you know, when somebody is looking out for you, when somebody loves you, when somebody does what he does for your benefit and not just to pump up himself, then it, 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 you're naturally attracted to that. You're drawn to that. When somebody treats you well, you're drawn to that. And, and when you know that their desire is to see you prosper, then the resistance goes way down. Now, I know full well after, see, I started pastoring in 91, so I've been doing it a little while. I've seen all kinds of stuff come across the table, all, all kinds of problems, and it's not just one side or the other. But the reality is, and, and usually, you know, when, when people come in for, for help, it's always the other person's fault, okay, which is part of the problem, okay? So what, what we want to do, you might be a husband, you might be a wife, what we want to do is say, okay, I, I want to match this image that has been given here. You know, if I'm constantly bucking my husband's leadership, it just makes life hard on everybody, okay? Or husbands, if I'm not cherishing my wife, if, I'm not, if, if it's not clear to her that, that I'm caring for her like Christ cares for the body, then it's going to make it harder for her to, to follow my lead. And then if you can think beyond that to the reality that, that part of what you're doing is you're just, you're just, it's like a, you know, the home is like a little workshop where you get to practice how you ought to treat any brother or sister in Christ. Now, it's not that all wives submit to all husbands. It's just to your own husband. But the point is this. The, the idea of, of arranging yourself under another person should not be a foreign concept if you're a genuine believer because this is the way we live toward one another. And I'll, I'll tell you something else I've noticed over the years is that with a lot of the marriage troubles that come through, I find myself, usually after the first couple of sessions, I'm going like, how do they think this is going to work when they treat each other this way? And, and the reality is that, that sometimes what happens, husbands and wives treat themselves, treat one another worse than they treat any other believer they know. So if you're having some difficulty in this area, start with just the baseline. How would I treat any other believer? And, and remember, this is not just my wife, this is not just my husband, this, this is a brother or sister in Christ, and, and before Christ, out of reverence for Christ, I want to treat this person well. Now, I have no illusions that I've solved all the problems and that we've answered all the questions, but hopefully we've got a few things to hang our, our, our hat on to kind of think about how we relate to one another. Look for opportunities for how you can serve other people the way Jesus has served us. Look for ways of exercising leadership in a way that benefits those who follow. Look for ways of supporting those who lead in a way that doesn't make it hard on them uh, to lead, but helps support and encourage them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of belonging to you. Lord, 
because we rely on you, we trust you, we find it our joy to obey you and yield to your leadership. You're our shepherd, and you care for us, even through the dark times. And we know that you will faithfully lead us all the way home. So, Lord, help us exercise that kind of faith in you in the way we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and in the way we treat one another in the home. For it's in Christ's name and for his glory we pray these things. Amen.